Tiny Hojoology and Once Upon a Cake Rock. And I'm Clarabelle Irritega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Okay. Yay. Yay. So I want to pre-apologize to everyone. If you hear baby noises in the background, it's because I'm at my sister's place. She has a newborn and a three-year-old, so you might hear them screaming. They the should be so lucky. Yeah, they have adorable little voices, so yeah. it'll just add flavor to the episode. Exactly. <laughs> Our new co-hosts. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? I'm sure my three-year-old niece would love to be on a podcast. <laughs> she has the best She has the best breakdowns of stories. Like, she definitely, she thinks Encanto is, the story of Encanto is about Bruno trying to get back to the kitchen with his with his rats she thinks that's the plot of Encanto wow amazing I mean it's wonderful I feel like she's right yeah that's the new that is the (laughs) new um plot of Encanto yeah (laughs) Bruno trying to get back to the kitchen with his rats (laughs) she's not wrong it's part of the plot (laughs) um anyway how have you been uh you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna go sit here and lie. Um, <laughs> I've been stressed, man. Stress. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Just tired. Deadlines being pushed left and right. Um, uh, I've been trying to get better at like health stuff. Mm-hmm. Been going to the gym every morning, like waking up early. Not every morning, like three days a week. Waking up early every day. Which is, like, a big accomplishment for me, leaving the house as much as I can. Mm Because I I was, like, just getting really anxious about leaving the house. So um, I nipped that in the bud so it doesn't become a bigger problem. And just working on my writing and so much admin work right now. (gasps) And, like, promo stuff. Like, I feel like I have a video due every day. Something that I have to send back to my publisher about, like, a list of this and that and it's just a lot of work like last night I almost started crying look at my to-do list for today because I was like I don't know when I'm gonna write oh because it's a list of so much stuff and then like I have anxiety so like anything where I have to like call somewhere Mm -hmm. that takes hours of preparation mentally for me so I had to renew my license this week online mind you but I had to call my eye doctor in order to get information (laughs) Mm-hmm. and it was such a process so Aww. every little thing is like but I'm doing it that's the good thing I think that like I'm reminding myself like I feel a lot of pressure right now because I'm getting a lot of things done yeah but when I get over the hump of like all of these things that I sort of like left to now and mm-hmm. I'm back on like a regular work schedule where I don't have all these things piled up from like months and months ago I will feel so much lighter. Um, so I just keep reminding myself of that. So I've been not good, you know, not good, but getting better. That's uh, my official response. How about okay. you? <laughs> I mean, same when it comes to deadlines. I've been on this one deadline for like over a year, pretty much. And and like what by deadline, I mean, like I missed the deadline months ago and have just been like, like, you know, functioning purely on anxiety energy since then um and like just been avoiding 
like having com- the conversation with my publisher because I'm fairly certain like the publication date will have to be pushed back at this point. Yeah. But I do also think like it's interesting because like I do think the fr- like because you went through this right like the, your publication date for both of your books got pushed. Yeah. And I think the first time that ever happens to you, there's a spiral of being like, oh, is it because my book isn't good enough? Or like, is it is it my fault? I didn't meet the deadlines. And now my publisher's mad at me and marketing must be mad at me. And all. like, you just, there's so many factors that you think get messed up because of this. But I do think like the healthy thing is to realize that like all things in publishing are kind of fluid And that books get pushed and publication dates get changed constantly for a variety of different factors. Um, And even if it is because the author turns in the book late, like that's a regular, that's a regular thing too. Yeah. Um, To the point where like a publisher is not like, oh, this author was late. Yeah. That's how I feel right now. Like my overachieving self is like, no, I can't be late and like I'm still very much I I told you this the other day I'm still very much in school mode where I'm like Uh I'm handing in my assignment late (laughs) (laughs) no I feel you I mean like same but like I've had to because it's been months I mean this isn't just like a like me asking for a reasonable extension and like feeling like shit it's like I miss my deadline and then I just like anxiously want radio silence because I'm so ashamed of how late I am yeah <laughs> to be fair for everyone listening don't do that like I'm don't be like that my, don't be like me this is a lesson in what not to do I'm gonna have to talk to my editor soon and like just have a talk about like reassessing our deadlines and I know that that's a responsible and professional thing to do but like my anxiety like stops me from having that conversation it's hard it's yeah. really hard it's really scary even like waiting for for word back about like if my extensions can be pushed or not like sent me spiraling and then my agent today was like oh can we jump on the phone really quick and I was like sure and in my head I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god Scholastic is gonna cancel the whole witchling series (laughs) in my head I was just like I'm done you're done and it was nothing it was, it was like, nothing. it was yeah. just like, I want to make sure these dates are good for you. Like just a very quick routine, cool, yeah. cute call, nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah. But that's <laughs> what goes on in my brain. I think it's important for us to talk about these things out loud because A, I feel like when you're a new writer, you have no idea that, that if the things like this happen, uh-huh. like it feels horrifying to even think about like being late on anything. Like when I was brand new, I was like, what? You're a month late? Um... <laughs> So, like, yeah, people are late. It's normal. And also, so many other people that I've talked to are pushing deadlines or, like, not meeting deadlines or, like, having a hard time right now. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to, like, say those things out loud so, like, we know it's not – there's no, no, nothing wrong with you individually. Mm-hmm. We're all going through it. And even in the best of times, this kind of thing happens. So yep. – For sure. Yeah. I So – but I think, like, for – like – for you, I feel like it is definitely like with more success comes more responsibility, very Spider-Man styles. Um, so, but like it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Because yeah. like your um, your publisher is noticing like how great your books are doing, and they want to support that and focus on that. But then it like makes you have to do more stuff because they're so excited to do more stuff with your books, and so it's kind of like 
being successful is like <laughs> yeah kind of ruins your time management a hundred percent a little bit yeah but you know it's interesting well we were just talking before the pre-chat about a conversation I was having with one of our other author friends about like what do you consider to be successful in publishing mm. it's like one of the hardest questions to answer honestly. it is so hard but I think like it's really good to kind of uh, point out what people shouldn't depend on right to, yeah. to say oh this is what success is because I do think that there's so many toxic narratives out there mm-hmm. that really ruin the mental health of new authors big time I mean the biggest one obviously is being a New York Times bestseller yeah yeah for sure I think that's really it's difficult um because <laughs> there's this thing in publishing where like everyone's like uh, it doesn't matter if you're a New York Times bestseller, but then if you hit the list, everybody treats you differently. So it's like, which one is it? <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is the truth? There's also this awkward thing where like, <laughs> once you hit the list, there's a lot of like, there'll be conversations like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like hitting the list is not a big deal. But if they say it in front of me, but they'll be like, except for Clarabelle. <laughs> <laughs> rigged but not for you (laughs) because like it's it's so hard because even though we shouldn't only depend on something as uh specialized and as as um as specific as the new york times bestselling list to say if an author is worthy of our attention it is we can't ignore the fact that it does do a lot of good for an author's career right it opens right? doors like, absolutely it would be foolish for us to completely ignore that I mean I think I think about this all the time because it's like it's like yes we know that there are flaws in the system but the system itself is not going to change overnight so if you like can if you can get like a good thing out of that system you shouldn't feel guilty out of it yeah for it you know? And I think there's also a big difference between wanting something and letting something define you. Yeah. Or define your success. Like, I've always wanted to hit the list because I knew that it would be a huge accolade. It would um, open doors for me. It would, mm-hmm. like, every time something that's like an industry like approval happens to you that like maybe other people might not know about it like like stars on books or whatever it like legitimizes you in the eyes of other industry people but the new york times list is like something that like the general public knows about Mm -hmm. so it's like a step above that right in like the eyes of many people i've always wanted it but i never i've never not thought of myself as a success yeah, I've never let that be the thing. Like once I reach that, then I will be successful because I think that that's where it becomes unhealthy because not only do you start judging yourself through this really sort of like unwieldy lens because you just don't know what the list is going to do from week to week, even if you sell enough co- more copies than people who are on the list, <laughs> you might not Ooh, hit, right? That's messy though, <laughs> but it happens. So. It it, it Yeah, so it's so hard. It's so hard for you to sort of use that as a rubric, right? Yeah. But then what ends up happening when you become hyper-obsessed with those things is you start judging other people by those standards too, right? You start not seeing other people as successful because they haven't hit these like sort of benchmarks that you feel you need to hit before you are like 
quote unquote official or like somebody. And mm-hmm. I just things that you can't control shouldn't be things that like you use to measure your self-worth. Agreed. A thousand percent. I mean, another one that I think you can speak on well that people mention a lot is if you earn out. Right. And, but like, Go, am I allowed to say Ghost Squad earned out before you hit the list? Am I allowed yeah. to say that? Okay. Yeah, it, Ghost Squad earned out like within months of coming out. Yeah. So like, I, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times, because and, and I understand why people use earning out as a rubric for success, because they're trying to be like, let me give you like a concrete number right. thing. Right. And, and, and I'm not going to lie, earning out, you're earning out, which Earning out means that you've earned back your advance and now you've started to earn royalties on each unit mm-hmm. sold of your book. Um, and and that actually is helpful when you're negotiating future contracts because then you can say, I earned out on this past contract, um, so, so please pay me more money because I'm worth more money because I was able to earn out this advance. Yep. So it is actually really helpful for you and your agent to be able to save or doubt your past book advances. But at the same time, I also find that to be a hard rubric to point to because there's such a there's there's such a huge gap in like how little or how much different authors get paid for their advance. Um, you know, some people get paid like, you know, you know, a five-figure advance with a small indie press, and that's still valid. You still sold your book. You're still a published author. And then yeah. some people get a seven-figure advance, you know, like as a debut. Like it's just – there's such a huge difference in advance numbers. So, like, are you are you saying that, like – because the in, that indie author – is more likely to earn out that advance because it is smaller Mm -hmm. than the person who got the seven-figure advance. But when you really look at the numbers, the indie author earned out through selling, like, you know, say 10,000 books. And the million-dollar advance author sold, like, 500,000 books and still hasn't earned out. Yeah. So, like, it's just, like... It's subjective. It's (laughs) subjective, even though we're using hard numbers, right? So for that too, I don't love using that rubric because there's a lot of authors who I know who haven't earned out where I still consider their books a success. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like you can't, you, you can't compare the two. Like it just really depends on so many different factors. And I think a lot of people don't look at it through that lens. Don't look at the different things that could be at play when mm-hmm. they talk about earning out. Um, there's so many things that seem a certain way and are a completely different way when you dig a little bit deeper. Um, for example, this is a kind of a sad one, but sometimes people are like, oh my God, my book is sold out. And it's like, great, everybody bought your book. That's awesome. But mm-hmm. a lot of times that happens because the publisher didn't like order enough books because they didn't think you were going to sell as many, right? Yeah. That happens a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And it's like your publisher should have had more faith in you and you should have had those books in stock because now you might lose sales because people aren't willing to wait and they're at the bookstore, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to sort of like spin things a lot of times in publishing and I get that. And that's not always the case. I don't want to say that's always the case. That yeah. happens sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just another example of something that seems one way and is – if you look, dig a little bit deeper, there's like more to it. There's more nuance behind it. Um, and that's like everything with publishing. Like it 
depends. Like, it. We should have named this podcast. It depends. Like, if we do another, if we do another podcast, it will just be me and you talking shit about publishing, and it will be called It Depends, and will be sponsored by Depend Diapers. Oh okay? my god! Shush. Um, I mean, that's 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 totally fair. I mean, I to the whole like um, sold out because it's not available thing is exacerbated right now by the supply chain so Big like time. you're a debut author right now and you're like shit that's me my book is sold out right now at like barnes and noble like don't think it's because your publisher doesn't right. have faith in you right um that's just one example that clarabelle was giving yeah it's way worse right now because of supply chain yeah and it could just be that a lot of fucking people bought your book <laughs> yeah it could, it could be the other reason which is the, an amazing reason um like i mean sometimes i just like i'm like you know what whatever like helps your mental health like if you want to hell yeah available and they weren't stocking my book but maybe they sold out i support that like i think yep. that's fine me too okay. i i agree whatever you got to do to survive and make it through <laughs> publishing we support you okay so yeah. long as it's not hurting anyone harassing anyone hurting yes. yourself you go and do that um yeah it, it it can be really hard it can be really hard to feel okay about what you're doing because there's so much mm-hmm. like comparison and publishing especially with like social media like oh, some oh. like obviously I think competition between writers has been a thing that's always existed like notoriously um yeah but I think that it's gotten more intense because it's not like two like two authors like writing each other letters and being passive aggressive now it's like you have to see everybody's thoughts on like twitter instagram and tiktok all at once um you get to see it in text in picture and video form like every medium that you could think of um Mm -hmm. and it's too much information (laughs) it's way too much information i think that like i really encourage people to because you could be the most secure of person and like your own self but like being bombarded with like everybody's news all the time can affect you especially if you're having a hard time Mm -hmm. um definitely I go through like phases of like not going on social media as much both because it's like affecting me because there's like too much going on at once and I like can't capture all of it and because like Mm -hmm. I'm in a bad place and I'm just not in a good place to like receive anybody else's news whether good or bad you know Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of times we punish ourselves because we feel like I have to know what's going on because this is my job and it's like no the only thing you need to do is write your book Mm -hmm. that's what you have to do everything else you will catch up in five minutes like literally (laughs) go onto any tiktok and like people will like round up the week of like what happened (laughs) on book talk this week like that's all you need and nine out of ten times it's not important Uh i think that focusing getting back to the writing is like always the right move (laughs) yeah no i mean well i like so i was talking to our friend um swathi who's you know who is an author and has an amazing trilogy that we've interviewed on this show we have and um she finished up her trilogy this year i believe the third book came out and we and wait this year was it last year no oh no no i'm sorry it is 2022 yeah we're in 2022 Mm -hmm. we're in 2022 i am sorry everybody um (laughs) uh but we it we both like have 
she still works and, you know, has a day job. And, and I used to work in medicine and those are industries that are so different mm. than publishing and a creative field and has completely different rubrics on what quote unquote success is. Right. And it was like really interesting for us to like, be like, let's look at it from like a strictly like, did you do your job corporate almost kind of a viewpoint um, and figure out like what we think success in publishing would be if you were like really actually objective about it. And we kind of came to the conclusion of like, if you're still being paid to write books, you're successful. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause like in, when I worked in cancer research, like cancer research takes years and years, if not decades to get like usable results. So like, I couldn't even be like, we cured this cancer. I'm the success, you know, I had to just be like, am I still, is, is the project still running smoothly? Am I still getting good performance appraisals and I'm still employed and being paid to do my job? I'm, I'm successful in my job. Um, and it was, it made it a lot easier to kind of be like, yeah, because uh, being continuing to sell books is more directly tied into writing because you can't sell a book if you didn't write it. Yeah. And so like, am I still getting paid <laughs> to write books? Yes, I am. Well then I'm successful in my job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that is so true. Um, it's so, it's, it's so tempting to like, fall into the trap of what publishing wants you to to do in terms of like comparing yourself to other people because you see it happen all the time like Mm -hmm. even in like really small insidious ways like the way that people describe themselves um on introduction sometimes will mention things like how much money they made for their book deal and Mm -hmm. I understand that that's like an accomplishment but I think people twist it to become like that's a definition of like you are successful Mm -hmm. it's like you were worthy of like a a company thought you were a worthwhile investment and that's how much money they put towards you Mm -hmm. it's not an indication of like your quality of writing or your success as a person like that doesn't that doesn't equal the other thing the thing that you think it does you know what I mean but a lot of times people will prop up like six-figure book deals which I'm not saying people shouldn't be proud of that like it's an amazing accomplishment especially someone who comes from like not having a lot of money life-changing and absolutely amazing if that happens but Mm -hmm. I do think that there's this like really weird like undercurrent of like you're like I'm better than other authors because I got this much money that happens sometimes and like it's important for us to like call that shit out and be like no it's it's great that it happened I'm happy for you but it does not mean that you're better than other people so I've seen a lot of people with six-figure book deals that disappear you know it's not it doesn't mean that you're going to and I think that's also really important to sort of take into account when you talk about like what does success mean right because if it if getting a lot of money for a book meant success then in my mind it would also mean longevity but that doesn't one Mm -hmm. thing doesn't equal the other so it's very very subjective and you just don't know what path your career is going to take um 
there's obviously people who are undeniably successful who are, you know, doing all these amazing, great things. But that's like the very small percentage of people, right? Mm -hmm. For everybody else, it's going to look different um, from person to person. And that's okay. And I think that that should be self-defined rather than something that you let publishing hive mind, uh, especially the toxic part of it, define for you. For sure. I mean, like, I would just encourage people to even just look at the different authors that we've interviewed on just this podcast and see how differently each of their publishing journeys has looked up until now. Like, we've had some people who, like, were instant New York Times bestsellers, and we've had some people who, like, you know, like, paved the way for, like, voices like mine and Clarabelle's, but, like, they had to go through so much shit and like they like were paid pennies, paid nothing, and it's been like ten years since they first published, and they finally on their latest book is getting are getting recognized. You know, like like that's the thing is is that like that's why it's really really hard to say that any one journey or any one thing is like the marker of success in publishing. And I know that really sucks. I do know that. Like I do, my personally wish that there was something where I could be like, let me just achieve this thing. And then I can feel like a success. Cause uh, then you I'll know what? whatever. You know what? I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> I think it's kind of, this is why I'm going to uh, listen to my pitch. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm going to say it's really cool that there's no defined thing because you can make success whatever you need to for yourself. Because okay. if if there was just one thing that was like a definitive, like, yes, then mm-hmm. I feel like that would be the only thing that you could achieve in order to feel successful. And I think that makes it a lot harder. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually kind of cool that we can define success however we want as authors. Um, and obviously, it's going to be worse for some people than for others, depending on like how they sort of think about it but if you sort of work on it for yourself and say like for me success means this goal that I can make happen for myself if I work hard enough I think that's way more satisfying you know what I mean um and I think it's a lot healthier too because like we said like Eve, like you can't control hitting the list like you just can't Mm -hmm. it either happens or it doesn't and it's like weird and like so unpredictable unless your initials are ls then you can't control hitting the list who's what ls laney no oh (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to reference something i was trying to be like who are you talking about (laughs) um yeah but even even someone who bought their way onto the list got kicked off because yeah they were not expecting Phil Stamper to come and ruin their day. <laughs> Shout out to Phil. Go by Golden oh Boys. Um, but I just, I really do think it's kind of, it's it's what you make it. Like publishing a lot of times is really what, what you make it. Success can be what you make it. And I think that's pretty cool because like, I'll give you an example. I really, really, for no reason at all, other than I thought it would be really cool, wanted the Witchlings tag on uh, TikTok to hit a million views before the book came out. We're recording like way before this comes out. Um, yeah. And it happened and I was so excited. Does it mean anything? No. <laughs> it means nothing. But now I can say like, wow, the Witchlings tag has a million views and it feels yeah. pretty cool and it makes me yeah. feel happy, you know? And it's something that happened just because I, you know, made enough videos to get 
that many views for the tag and it just happened to work um Mm -hmm. it's something small but it's something that makes me feel excited about my book and I think those little victories are what sustain us because also like if we're also always jumping from like high to high Mm -hmm. it can become really debilitating when you have nothing going on for a while um and I think that's when like dangerous behavior starts within authors and like desperation and like bad behavior even online um these periods of like no news and no good news and no good quote-unquote good things happening you're just waiting for the next announcement the next cover reveal the next book to come out um and your life should be more than that yeah you're right. No, I really like that. Thank, thank you for correcting me. I think you're right. I think where I was coming from was act, like was the fact that I do think a lot of authors do think that way. Um, and you're not a bad person if you think that way. Mm-mm, so many of us do. Um, but I, I do agree. Yeah, we should probably be, I mean, we should all be working towards Clarabelle's definition of of how you view, of 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 valuing that success can look so many different ways Mm because then it's just so it's so much better for your mental health um and I'm obviously I'm still working on that and but it's nice to be reminded of it so thank you (laughs) no problem I I mean I understand where you were coming from you know I think it's just hard when you don't have like a guide or something telling you like this is this and that is that and like Mm -hmm. in like neat categories and so much of publishing is like that but I don't think we can control that or change that and I think Mm -hmm. the best thing we can do is sort of like make something good out of the sort of like unruliness of publishing which is to (laughs) make it our own like make define it for ourselves yeah Mm -hmm. to find the beauty and the chaos yeah that (laughs) cool yeah So super excited for today's guest, uh, Vida Ayala. Um, Vida Ayala is a trans, non-binary, Afro-Puerto Rican writer born and bred in New York City, where they grew up dreaming dreams of dancing on faraway worlds, fighting monsters on the block, and racing fish along the bottom of the ocean. Before Vida began freelancing as a writer, they worked in book retail, event coordination, building management, baking, and museum security, day and graveyard shift. They've broken at least one of every bone in their body. Oh, my gosh. Which means they can (laughs) feel the rain coming. (laughs) Uh, Vita writes both comics and prose fiction and has written for publishers such as Black Mass Studios, DC Comics, Dynamite, IDW, Image Comics, Macmillan, Marvel Comics, Realm, Valiant, and Vault Comics. Vita currently resides in New York City with their wife and cat sons. Vita, welcome! Hello! Hello. Oh my gosh, that is so many amazing publishers that you've worked with. I'm in awe. Uh, It's weird, and I guess we'll get into it, but like comic publishing is so different from traditional publishing that it's like, oh, you did that? It's like, yes, I don't know when and I don't know how, but that happened. Well, I I actually kind of want to get more into this museum security thing but like it's mm-hmm. also completely mm-hmm. off topic um but it just sounds get fascinating <laughs> well uh to be brief about it i worked at the metropolitan museum of art in new york um, oh my gosh which is super haunted absolutely no the stuff does not come to life uh, i would have quit immediately if it did <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of scary stuff in there uh <laughs> And uh, I spent seven months during the day, uh, which did not leave as much time for writing as I liked. And so I switched to nights and uh, and then it got 
really freaky and really weird. But I oh loved my it. Gosh. Um, I learned a lot about art as well as like being able to sneak some time and, and write comics on the clock, which I haven't been there for a while, so it's fine. I don't feel bad. <laughs> Did that inspire like any of your writing at all? Like the hauntedness of that? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I I've. I'm one of those people, yes, I've seen stuff my whole life and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely just confirmed a lot of stuff, but also it it, it keeps you awake to be that afraid of like, okay, um, I know that I have to walk through this room <laughs> and I know there's like seven ghosts in there. So oh, that's gosh. just really going to keep you awake. Uh, most of them are very, very benevolent, um, although there are angry ghosts because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but white people steal a lot of brown people artifacts mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of anger, but the most haunted area, in my opinion, uh, in that place, besides the sub-sub-sub basement where they just throw art, Mm. uh, (laughs) is the American wing. There's a bunch of period rooms in there, and that is some of the most haunted stuff I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my gosh. That is so scary. Goodbye. That is terrible. I will (laughs) never go... You said it was the Metropolitan Museum? Yes. Beautiful art. Lots of cool stuff. Um, The Mm. American Wing has three floors of, like, period rooms. The top one, there are multiple children ghosts up there, and that particularly freaks me out. Multiple children ghosts. No, 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 no. You can hear them giggling. Um, No! um, One of those old-timey, like, rocking cradle things that you put on the floor. There's no wind in there. It's a building within a building. It will move. Um, on its own, the stanchions will start a swinging like jump rope. It's wild. It's wild. You can see impressions in the bed. Like it's it's really wild. Woo. Okay. Well, the, that's the end of this break. interview. Yeah. Thank you very much, Vita. <laughs> see you next time. Yeah. That's, it's been wonderful talking to you. Congratulations on your publishing journey. That is so gotta, scary. Yeah. Well, you writing about this stuff, you know, it's like it's out there. Like. <laughs> Oh, it's late. Now I'm going to have nightmares. Vita, I hope you're ready for me to DM you all night because I'm going to be afraid. Can I yeah. give you a good story then really quickly so that you don't have nightmares? Wait, what? I'll give you a good story so you don't have nightmares. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. That's now your responsibility. Yes. I, I, I gave you the horror and I would give you some of the fun. Um, in the Lehman Wing, which is towards the back of the museum, it's just like diamond-shaped uh, part of the museum, all of the art there was donated by the Lehman Brothers. There is a painting on, I think it's the third floor. Um, It's on all the French brochures and stuff. It's this woman in this like beautiful, like satiny blue dress. She's an aristocrat of some sort. She has these kind of Leia buns. And uh, there's a single couch that you can actually sit on, a room over from that painting. And about a dozen guards have reported, different guards reported to different section chiefs that um, when they have fallen asleep on that couch, they woke up and this woman who had this very beautiful, soft, warm energy was standing over them, the woman from the painting, and she would tuck them in and like touch their face and like calm them down. Um, and so, you know, some of, the, some of the ghosts are very gentle, very warm and friendly, just want you to take your nap, take your, you know, your hour break and have a good time. So, you know, that's there too. That's, I mean, yeah, I, I like, I feel like, uh, ghosts get a bad rap in media of like only being the scary thing, right? But like, uh, like my my gr- like grandmother is like kind of psychic a little bit, and a lot of her like in her dreams, and a lot of like the positive news she gets in her dreams is like from our ancestors like coming yes. to her as spirit as like benevolent spirits and like telling her things. So then she like passes the message on to us and stuff. Oh, um, that's how like we knew my cousin was gonna get into med school, you know. So. Oh. 
See, that's wonderful. Yeah, they could be good. <laughs> they can be very good. And, you know, uh, if your energy is good, a lot of, like, spirits will match that energy. So, yeah. you know, just be respectful, that's all. Okay, good. All right, Thank let's move on. I'm getting story. more scared yes. every moment that passes. No, okay, <laughs> let's get to the, okay, this podcast is, is not about ghosts. Um, it, is, Yet. it is technically about writing journeys, so... <laughs> So Vita, like you, you already kind of said that like writing in in the comics world is a little bit different than prose writing. So how did you first get into that? Like how did you first break into the industry and get inspired to write comics? Um, so I've been writing since I learned how to read, which was I learned a little late. I was about ten. <laughs> uh, I went to schools that did not care, and then suddenly I went to school that cared. Um, and I was like, oh wait, I can just put down all the stuff that's going on in my head on paper, and I can keep it. I don't have to forget it. I have ADHD, so it's there's a lot going on there. Um, and I would just carry on a notebook and write stuff all the time. Flash forward to me being 19 years old, uh, I started working in a comic book shop in New York City called Forbidden Planet. And up until then, I was an avid comics reader. Like, I'll read almost anything in general, but I loved comics. They're super accessible. I won't get on my my soapbox and talk about accessibility right now, but um, comics are really awesome. And so uh, I didn't actually understand until then that like people wrote comics because <laughs> I read a lot of manga <laughs> growing up and like usually like a mangaka, they don't name the assistants, right? It's just one person usually who writes and draws it. That's not always the case. But uh, so, you know, I, I started to further my comics education and actually look at the credits and I was like, hold on a second. You don't have to draw to be able to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because when I draw, um, like, crops fail. Like, it's terrible. Like, I, I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Relatable. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, so I was not like, crops oh, fail. It's when demons get summoned. Like, it's bad. I, I should not. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I started to notice that, like, yeah, there was... <laughs> I was a voracious reader, but I tended to like stories by certain people. And I was like, oh, I could actually, maybe I could do this. Uh, I went to college, went for a psychology and philosophy, and eventually a little bit of creative writing. And the whole time I was writing my own stuff, but I was kind of dipping my toes. I wrote a lot of prose, but I was dipping my toes in the comics because it's it's interesting, right? Like the way that comics work, um, if you can visually... Uh, you know, interact with a medium, you can interact with comics. You don't necessarily have to read the text to understand what's going on. Um, and because I couldn't draw, I was extra interested in being part of the process. So I graduated and I went back to working at Forbidden Planet. <laughs> uh, I worked there on and off for about 10 years. And uh, I would go in every day early, like an hour or so early, and just write in my notebook, right? I'd just be writing, writing my notebook. I wouldn't show anybody. And in 2012, I was working there with Matthew Rosenberg um, and Danny Lore. I don't know if y'all know Danny or mm-hmm. Matt. Of course, Love Danny. Yeah, Danny's one, awesome. my best friend in the whole world. Um, and Danny is the kind of person who's very encouraging and a like, whatever you need, homie, like, I'll hype you up. I got your back. I'll tell you the truth, but also, like, I'll gas you up. Um, and Rosenberg, uh, who is, again, one of my best friends, uh, is <laughs> he doesn't care. He's like, no you're good at this. So it's going to happen. And he was like, why don't you show people your writing? Like I've seen your writing and it's good. And I was like, oh, no, I don't think so. Cause I had a plan and my plan was like, I'd fill up a bunch of notebooks and then like one would magically fall out of my bag and like an agent would pick it up and like read it and be like, Oh my God, who is this person? And like, I get a book deal. 
which is insane. <laughs> that is not how things work. Um, but that was my plan. And Rosenberg was like, no, I'm just going to get introduce you to people I know in the comics industry instead. That's how it's going to go. And I was like, oh, I don't talk to people about my writing. I'll talk all day about that. And he was like, no, this is going to happen. And so he very gently held me by the hand. And um, he was further along in kind of breaking into comics than I was. And so he would, you know, if it was a local convention, he would literally walk me around and introduce me Aww. to like editors, writers, artists. Like it's really important in comics, especially, um, I think clearly across the board, actually. In, in creative endeavors to get to know your peers. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the people that'll give you work, but the people that are like, quote unquote, in your class or, you know, just are doing the things you wanna do. So he made sure that he really introduced me to everyone he knew. Um, and eventually uh, I started to go to conventions like San Diego Comic Con and stuff like that. And uh, y'all have been to conventions and mm -hmm. y'all know how stressful that is. <laughs> uh, <Yep. laughs> Just, just sweating the whole time. And uh, as people who uh, are perceived as female, um, y'all understand that sometimes you just need to take a minute because it's too much. Because there's a lot of like negative stuff happening and energy, and mm -hmm. you are expected to go out and do things like bar con and all these things, which is fine. But like, it gets a lot. So uh, all the all of the some people that I knew would like just dip into the bathroom every like hour or so, you know what I'm saying? Just like, Ooh, I need a breather. And, uh, oh, and we yeah. would joke about like networking in the bathroom. That's where like the real networking would happen for people uh, who were perceived as female because it's like, this is a safe space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a re that's a real thing. Like mm -hmm. when I worked um, doing shows, we always joke that people would congregate at my work booth and, I would have like snacks yes. and like let people like leave their bags and stuff. And like people would come to just like, I just need a breather. Can I sit here with you for a second? Mm -hmm. Or like, I'm so anxious. Like, I don't know what to do or who to talk to. Um, yes. I've been hiding behind a garbage can this whole time. Can I yes. just go sit down with you? And like, it was like constant. Like I felt like the fairy godmother of like book conventions <laughs> because like people were always with me in my booth. Cause I had like a safe space to sit at and like, run away from everyone no, um it's so but you really need yeah. the, you need those moments it's it can be very overwhelming especially sure. barcon and like i don't know about traditional book publishing people but i love my comics people uh we are an awkward bunch and uh, you put <laughs> alcohol in that mix i don't really drink at these functions i have maybe a drink because i view them as professional mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. but like not everyone's like that <laughs> people get very messy. true and you're just like oh you have to drink in order to feel comfortable doing this but that makes you messy and yeah. i don't want to participate in this like oh no that's also um, not good because not everybody no. drinks or wants to drink so yeah yeah which is my big thing i'm always like instead of bar con let's do ice cream con <laughs> yeah <laughs> that sounds fucking awesome <laughs> it, it has worked out really well there are some people who cannot have ice cream so alternate you know keep keep finding alternates but uh, <laughs> i met um or rather i got to speak more with some editors uh in the bathroom um and again i don't know how things work in traditional publishing as much but in comics publishing uh it's really rough for for women editors there's a lot of disrespect that goes on but they're also holding the whole industry up on their shoulders Ugh. um and so like just being a normal human being to these people i'm just like yeah let's 
what are you going through all this stuff? Um, and I was told about a writing workshop opportunity through DC um, by the person who's developing the program. This is one of these women who was networking in the bathroom. Um, and so I signed up for that and I got in, um, which I'm very lucky. Um, this is all, it's like, you know, I write every day, so it's 90% being prepared, but that luck, that 10% luck factor is real. <laughs> you got to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so I went through that program. Um, it was an incredible experience. Uh, it was, I can't remember how many weeks, it was a couple of months. And the whole point of it was basically to teach people, I was already writing indie comics, but it was to teach people how to write like big superhero comics, right? Big, bombastic, ridiculous, powers punching kind of comics and how to spread <laughs> the needle there, right? Between like, this has something to say and people want to see Superman uppercut somebody. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they, they, they kind of, they did this thing where when we were done, they made an anthology uh, specifically for the class so we could actually have published work, which is so important, <laughs> especially in comics. Like you cannot get work if you don't have work, which is wild. Um, and from there, I just, my indie comic came out through Black Mass Studios. It's called The Wilds and people like that. And I was asked to be on more anthologies through DC. And, and from there, I just, uh, I did the thing that is a mistake where I would just say yes to everything. Oh. Didn't matter when or what was going on. I know um, that mistake well. <laughs> it's um, and during this time, I had uh, met the woman who would become my wife, and we were very serious very quickly because we were in our 30s, and that means we had a list of things that were deal breakers and not deal breakers, and we talked about it like adults, and so it was really great. Uh, and she eventually, uh, after about a year and a half, uh, we got married and she was like, you should quit working at the Met. <laughs> you work 50 to 60 hours at the Met a, a week. And then also you write three hours, four hours a day. You're dying. Mm -hmm. I have a job with health insurance. You have work lined up because you are incapable of saying no. <laughs> go full time freelance. Um, and so I did. I was able to do that. Um, and that was uh, December of 2017. So I've been full-time freelance since then. Um, so yeah, comics is like partially proximity and partially like just be a, a decent human being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, people be, they just don't get it. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, I know you want work, but sometimes you just have to make friends first. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. You just have to be like a person who's not just just wanting work. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's how I got into comics. Um, Rosenberg held me by my little paw and <laughs> dragged me around. He was like, "You're going to talk to these people." And Danny, um, who I don't ever mention enough, I love them until my heart, um, is like my sounding board. We we talk to each other about all of our stories and all that kind of stuff all the time. And you know, they were working at Forbidden Planet as well, so they were able to kind of talk me through a lot of things in a very practical way that had to do with comics and working at a shop. I think this is the same. I worked at Barnes and Noble as well as a comic book shop. And I think that is really important if you can work at some sort of shop and you want to get into writing, you should do so because you get to see like how people buy things, what people respond to week to week, how changeover happens and how that affects books that are out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, it's super important. And with comics changeover, it, I mean, your comic is on shelves for a week, like the floppies, that's it. So you have to know, understand like, not just the story stuff inside, but like 
how covers affect things, how, you know, all this stuff. So, yeah. It's so interesting. Um, okay. I have a quick question about your agent because you, you do have an agent. How did you go about doing that as someone who writes comics? What was the process behind that? Um, as with comics, I got an agent uh, in a way that seems bananas to me. Just does not make sense. Um, so uh, I met my agent through Danny, uh, who was is and is their client. Uh, and we got to talking and we just really enjoyed each other. And they were actually uh, a fan of my stuff um, that I had already done, like The Wilds and I think Submerged at the time, um, which is another uh, indie comic that I did. And they were like, hey, uh, you should you should submit. <laughs> like, uh, we can talk about stuff. I know that you have a bunch of ideas for a bunch of other stuff. Just do it. Just please just submit to me. And I was like, is that how this normally works? And they were like, no. <laughs> no, it is not. But we have known each other. And I, you know, I really vibe with everything that you want to do. Um, and so... If you have stuff that you want to work on and it sounds good, I would like to represent you. And so I did. I went through the process of submitting, but I was really, really lucky in that they were, they already knew who I was, which is not something that usually happens. Um, but you're yeah, made of talent. So <laughs> no. what are you going to do? Okay. It's not that. I just talk <laughs> really well. Uh, and, and as a Pisces, I also match energy. So I feel like that really helps me. Uh, no, I'm just really lucky in that um, you kind of like – because comics move so fast, they're, you know, uh, graphic novels aren't as fast as uh, as monthly comics, but they're still can be very fast compared to like traditional publishing. Um, I had a lot of work already like out, mm. so like people, like there was a lot of like this is what I do, and these are the different ways in which I do it. And um, comics loves a podcast, so I've been on quite a few comics podcasts talking about the things that I wanted to do, not just with my own work, but in terms of like the industry. And I feel like it makes it easier to gauge what, what a person's about if they're already out there like that. Um, so I, yeah, I was very, very, very lucky. And also made of talent. <laughs> <laughs> not going to let you downplay the fact that you already did a lot for yourself before you got yeah. an agent. So um they were also lucky to sign you. <laughs> they are Danny incredible. isn't here to yell at you. Do it from the future. The stand-ins, yeah. Um, but I mean, well, the thing is too is like bringing up your friends. Like, it is important to have support system, no matter like what creative field you're in. So I think it's just like really great that you had trusted people that like you could depend on and that their advice was valuable to you and that you trusted. Um, because I think that makes a huge difference too. Absolutely. And in the way that like Rosenberg was really like the person who, who gently but firmly was like, you need to do this in <laughs> comics. Uh, Danny is that person for me in prose. I stopped writing prose for a long time um, when I started writing comics um, just because it's like, that's the work that I'm getting. I'm going to do it, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And they're so different that like when I wanted to kind of get back to the thing that got me interested in writing in the first place, right? Prose. I was mm -hmm. really nervous. Um, I was really, really, really nervous because I was like, I, this is silly. This is a silly thing. But uh, Danny and I are like twin speaks. We are dynamic <laughs> duo. I'm like, I, they're my favorite person besides like my wife and my mom. And like, 
I was like, oh, Danny writes prose really well. I mean, Danny writes comics really well too, but like mm -hmm. I was getting more comics work. So I was like, well, Danny's got that covered. So I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna do it. And Danny was like, hey, bestie, that makes <laughs> no sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's ridiculous put your big boy pants on and like, if you want to do it, then you need to do it. Um, and so mm -hmm. they really encouraged me very lovingly to like, just do it. Like no one, you don't have to do it while people are watching. You can just do it. Um, and so I started to write again and, and bounce ideas off of them again uh, for pro stuff. And then um, I was lucky enough to um, be invited to be part of the Reclaim the Stars anthology. And I was like, Oh, Danny, I don't know. And they were like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do it um and so you know they they have been incredibly incredibly just awesome i uh, cannot say enough about danny Aww. um and also my wife writes novels and so uh, i have someone at home who goes very very gently this isn't working or this is good <laughs> like she's my first editor i'm like <laughs> i'm like no face from like <laughs> from oh, starting no. away i come and i'm like uh what this good and she's just like okay you can do better <laughs> or like yes this is very good good job um so i'm very lucky Amazing. to be surrounded by so many wonderful people that's awesome i mean and it's very telling for you about you too though that like obvious like obviously these people wouldn't have stuck around if you weren't also amazing yourself so you deserve credit as well um <laughs> i have a terrible terrible <laughs> self-esteem so i appreciate that. we are not gonna let you discount your own talent and your own amazingness. That's Ever. not what this podcast is about. No way. <laughs> Bless you. Um, so okay, for you, like how, yeah, what big differences do you feel when you're writing a, a script for a comic versus prose writing? Like what are the big differences that you feel are there? The, the formats are technically using the same language, right? But like when you write a comic, you are not actually writing for your audience you are writing for your for your collaborator, right? You're writing for your co-creator or even if it's work for hire, then we call them collaborators, right? You're mm -hmm. your partner. Um, so you have to find a way to communicate what you want them to interpret visually. Um, and that is wild. When you're writing prose, you are one-to-one -one connecting, right? With the people that will read your book. It is, you know, even though it is polished by the end, like it's kind of raw. It's like, here I am, here's, you know, here's everything inside of me. And in comics, you're whispering into someone's ear. <laughs> and you're like, hey, okay, so I want them to feel this. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so I think of it kind of as like a letter to your partner who is the front man, right? Um, so it's uh, not just format wise is it different, but like kind of intent wise. I do not write scripts in the way that I would write prose because I'm very informal in my scripts. Um, mm -hmm. to the level of comfort of, of my collaborators, right? I like to know what they want to do. I want to know what they want to draw. And then I go, okay, here's how I'm seeing what could make sense. What do you think? Um, and a lot of things change in comics from script to final page in ways mm -hmm. that they do not change in prose. <laughs> um, and that's a good thing. I always think I'm a very big collaborative person. Like I love who knew I would say this after going through school in this country, but I love group work. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one would, would have predicted. Um, yeah. I love the, the energy that you get. Like, I know that you two talk about your writing, you know, all the time, not just on the podcast, but literally I'll be talking all the time. Like, imagine if you could bring that kind of creative juice and process to the actual page. 
mm-hmm. uh, all the time. That's kind of what writing comics is like. And you have to have like a deep trust with each other, um, both as the writer and as the artist working with the writer. That's so um, cool. Yeah, it, it I, rocks. <laughs> it's I, really cool. We need that more in like prose writing. I mean, to Agreed. be fair, like I do, like once you get in the groove with your editor, um, like I've been with my current editor, like I'm on my third book with her. So like, I think we do have a groove. Like I super duper trust her. Um, and she definitely like gets involved more earlier in the process. Cause like I sell things to her on proposal now. Um, but it's still like not fully like, like that writer's room feel that, that I think feels amazing. right. Like I love the idea of like co- calling it collaborative um, just because like, I, I'm pretty sure like I, I'm not wrong in saying like most authors have huge anxiety about like, is this even good <laughs> at yes. some point in the process? <laughs> yeah. Big time. Oh I, so it would be so cool if like we can like normalize more, like having a much more collaborative developmental process in writing. That would be cool. I, I totally agree. I got to do this thing that was really fun and really like bonkers um, in that I got to write, um, I wrote two chapters, I guess four chapters of um, of a group prose project. I was part of the, it was Serial Box at the time, but now it is Realm, uh, Jessica oh, okay. Jones um, writer's room. So we went in and we were three days, we broke the story, we went back and forth and we didn't just do our own chapters, right? Like we broke every single beat in the story and then went back and wrote what we were responsible for. Um, and then it took a while to clean everything up and make, you know, the styles kind of thread together. But like, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I didn't know you could do that for prose, right? Like I knew you could mm-hmm. do it for comics. I knew you could do it for television and all that kind of stuff. But I think I leveled up as a creative person during that process. And it was an intense three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Well, I think like with things like uh, it's called Realm now, you said, with, like, Realm, and, and, and like, um, there's things that, that are coming up that are more writer's room focused, so that are, like, serialized online fiction, um, that's because, that, like, it used to be, it's really huge in Korea, and I think it's because, like, web comic, webtoons is really huge in Korea. Yes. Um, so, like, it, but it's come over to America slightly now, um, and it's just like really cool to see because it's like kind of breaking the like breaking the format that we're so used to, like the formula of like this is how writing has to happen. It has to be in isolation. Go to your cabin in the middle of the woods, <laughs> right? And be like an angsty old white man and write your books. Um, <laughs> but like that doesn't have to be the case. Um, it can be like sharing of ideas, which I absolutely adore. I, I love that in um in anthologies. Yes. That they do stuff like that any excuse to be able to uh, work with other people during any sort of creative endeavors. Like that's, that's it for me. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think that as I've gotten busier, it's been harder for like, I feel like there was a lot more sort of like working with other writers, r- reading other writers work and doing that kind of like exchanging of ideas at the mm-hmm. beginning of my career. Now it's like, this is due tomorrow. And I only have time to like send it to my editor. But mm-hmm. I really miss those days of like beta reading and like critique partners. Like I don't really do that anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like the only time that I worked in that sort of space. But when we wrote Frizzy um, and I got to work with Rose, 
I got a little bit more of that back and it was really nice. <laughs> um, but yeah. Like magic, right? Like, it's just like, oh, wow, I've connected and we made something together. Look at this. this yeah. Especially when you vibe with the person and like you're on the same wavelength of like just like working well together. It, it can just mm-hmm. be really, really cool. So yeah. I look forward to that happening when we co-write our book, Kat. Oh my gosh, this book is going to be absolutely insane. I, I can't imagine what this collaborative process is going to be. Like, we're just going to be yelling at each other in the Google Doc. That's what it's mm-hmm. going to be. Yes. What would you do if the world's biggest K-pop idol asked you to prom? Elena Su and Robbie Choi used to be inseparable until he moved back to South Korea with his family. But before he left, he promised to come back and take Elena to prom. Seven years later, Robbie is part of the biggest K-pop group in the world, and Elena wouldn't be caught dead at prom, which makes it all the more surreal when Robbie shows up on her doorstep to keep that long-ago promise. And now Elena doesn't know what's worse, the hate she's getting from Robbie's fans, or the fact that she thinks she's falling for him. From the author of the internationally best-selling Gumiho duology comes Once Upon a K-Prom, a hilarious and heartfelt rom-com that brings the glamour and drama of the K-pop world straight to high school. But I think the thing I, I agree with you, Clarabelle, is that like, like critique partners are so integral at the beginning of, of our journey into publication. Like, and, and Vita, I don't know if you had a lot of critique partners uh, for comic writing. It, it seems like you, I mean, you did have your friends um, who were like pushing you <laughs> to put your work <laughs> out there. But like it, when you realize like, wait a minute, now that I'm published, like, I don't use critique partners as much. Why? Like I have to force myself to still send stuff to critique partners because I just forget that that's a step that I can do. Um, But it, it means so much, not just in like having someone help you figure out how to fix something, but just to have someone who's like, I really like this thing you did. This is awesome. No other than that. You know, you need it. You need to be gassed up like that because it's like, this is a lonely job. Uh huh. (laughs) It's so lonely, but also like you need to refill the well. And sometimes that's not just like watching your favorite show or reading something that you enjoy. Sometimes it's like having a conversation with other people about creative stuff. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, yeah, Danny and, and Matt both were very much my critique partners for a long time. I've actually co-written stuff with both of them, um, which is a blessing. Uh, but yeah, also my wife now, I, that, that poor woman, she's so patient with me. <laughs> I'm just like, I got to figure out this thing. And it's really hard. Uh, for for work for hire right because it's like I don't own this so I have to be very careful about who I talk to and how I talk about it right but like mm-hmm. there's kind of an understanding literally in some contracts where it's like if you are with your significant other as long as you are not sending confidential documents you can talk about this it's like oh thank god <laughs> they know they know <laughs> um, so and she's a, you know she's a big she doesn't read a ton of comics, but she did growing up, and she mm-hmm. she's a big nerd about a lot of stuff, and so she's able to understand <laughs> my madness when I'm like, okay, but like if the X Men did this, and she's like, uh huh, yep, yep, that works. Okay, nope, that does not work. That does not make sense. <laughs> They're concussive blasts. They're not lasers. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> keeping that stuff straight is wild. Oh <laughs> my gosh, I can't imagine. I mean, the, some of the franchises that you write for have been around for decades and decades. There's so much canon that you have to understand to be able to write what you write (laughs) my mind does not work that way I um two of my best friends in comics who are also my co-workers in the x office 
Um, the X office is very much like a writer's room. We're very collaborative across all of the titles and we mm-hmm. meet every other week and have a slack and all that kind of stuff. It's the first time that's happened to me and it's amazing. Um, so Teeny Howard and Leah Williams are like the keepers of like the knowledge for me. I've been reading X-Men comics for a very long time. I don't know anything. I get in front of the blank page and I'm like, oh, I've never seen an X-Man in my life. They're like, you know what you're talking about, like, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you need encyclopedic knowledge about like people's powers and how that works, Leah has like Google Docs that she like, she's like, everyone in the Slack, I know that you've been doing this for a long time, but just a reminder, uh, here you go, all this information. Um, it's, It's truly wild. I don't know how people keep that in their brain. And like the fans know... They actually have the best resources. They're, the mm-hmm. official wikis are not as good as the fan wikis. I'm always like, how do you do it? Like, how do you, why do you know that? Why do you know what that person likes for lunch? He's not real. Like, I don't understand. They know. They do. They know everything. Yeah. I mean, fandoms are, fandoms are fascinating to me. I, I, I love them because, like, it's a way to immediately connect with another person when you know you're in the same fandom. Because, like, there's this joyful thing, like, between you two, like, from Jump. But at the same time, fandoms are terrifying. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Like, it's wild because you want to be like, hey, this is very important, right? Mm -hmm. Like, these things, like, books and comics save people's lives. That's Mm -hmm. a real thing. My life literally was saved by, I can, like, Octavia Butler's Dawn and also Strangers in Paradise, which is a comic book literally saved my life but also they're funny books everyone calm down (laughs) calm down you don't you don't have to take it that you should take it seriously because it is important but also it doesn't matter what outfit they're wearing right now that is not important please (laughs) stop tweeting at me I don't care I don't care about the green dress I don't (laughs) I mean it's hard enough like when being at a book event when like one person comes up and they're like oh did you mean to do this thing like that I meant noticed as a pattern in your book and you're like oh yeah I totally <laughs> meant to do that like and it like that's just like a small I'm sure sample of like how intense it gets when there's like a true big fandom around something you're writing I feel like when it's it's less personal like yes it is intense when there's a big fandom but like when it's about your stuff you just want to be like I it's mine I said <laughs> I said it I said what I said like, <laughs> whereas like with this you're like I don't know 75 years of continuity is real wild (laughs) like I can just be like no no I like this one so that's what I chose uh with you I I would you are a patient person I'd be like no just leave me alone I wrote it that's what I did leave me alone (laughs) well sometimes like fans are way more clever than you were and you're like oh crap I wish I had done that actually like (laughs) I will I'll say like when I was writing the sequel to my debut book like people like would would tweet at me or like you know say something in my in my mentions on in Instagram being like oh my god did you do this in the first book because you're setting up some such and such for the second book and I'm like wait should I do that in the second book <laughs> like I'm still writing it now wait should I do that and like I would spiral I would like then I would like message my agent to be like is, is it okay if I edit it <laughs> like and add this thing and she'll be like calm down no stop that <laughs> right because it's like oh that's a good idea am I going to get in trouble if I do that? (laughs) Yeah. First of all, like, will you get in trouble? Second of all, are you going to create a huge plot hole because of this one thing you just thought was cool? (laughs) And also does it change your message? Right. You're like, you gotta, you gotta stick to your guns. Um, I think that that is really interesting. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about that when it's their own stuff. And I'm always like, wow, like 
the things that people bring to your work mm-hmm. is is inspiring to me. I'm always like, when people try to tell me what to do and they're being sincere, they're not like being jerks about it. I'm like, hey, <laughs> stop now, but go do that. That mm-hmm. sounds cool. Just you do that, I will read it. And I mean it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy smokes, that sounds incredible. I don't want to write that. I want to read that. Please do this for me. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. And that's such a great way of thinking about it because so many of us were like inspired by stories we read growing up. And can you imagine being the story that inspired another person, you know, oh. to write their story? Oh my God, I'm getting I'm getting chills. chills. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I started writing, um uh in not started writing, but I, when I got serious about it in high school, um after after I read Dawn by Octavia Butler, right? It changed my life. I was like, I don't think I could ever do that for another person. Mm-hmm. But like if I can connect to someone even at like a fraction of the level as I connected to this book, if someone else can connect to my work, I have to try. <laughs> and that's kind of my guiding force of like, you know, I I didn't even know like people could write sci-fi before that like mm -hmm. I didn't know that was possible um and then my teacher in high school was like you should read this he noticed that I was having a really hard time he was like just read this (laughs) like (laughs) you go and it like I was like wait we can do that we can we could just put that on paper um and he told me the story about how like you know, the main character in the book is black and there's a bunch of mm. characters of color. There are white people in there as well. There's all kinds of people. Um, <laughs> but she was very adamant that the main character say a black woman. And this was a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where that was like kind of a problem. And she was like, I will not compromise. And this story <sighs> needs to be told. So you're going to do it. And I was like, you can do that. <laughs> like, and so like, since then, like kind of my, my North stars, like if you could just make something that connects with someone and, and makes them feel even a little bit seen, mm-hmm. a little bit, then you're doing, you're, you're doing what you can. That's what you were put here to do. That's um, so amazing. And I'm so glad you had a teacher like that who knew to provide you something like that in that moment. Yeah, he was it, great. <laughs> it's just, it's nice to kind of like have someone who gets it without you having to like try to explain it. Cause like, especially when you're younger, like you don't even know the language to explain it. Sometimes you're like, I just feel bad. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so, I'm a big, I was, I grew up a big sci-fi fan, right? Like mm-hmm. my mom's a big nerd. Her favorite show growing up was Star Trek, uh, to a fist fight for that TV once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up on all that stuff. And like, you see like the very famous story of Whoopi Goldberg seeing, you know, Nichelle Nichols and, and being inspired and then being on Star Trek as well. Like you see mm-hmm. those things in this space, but it did not occur to me that behind scenes, like people like me could be there. Cause I'm not an actor, <laughs> you know, I'm not a visual artist, but like the idea that I could be involved in the process of something that touches other people, like that's wild to me. That's, that's yeah. bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's, you know, hashtag representation matters. It's, it's interesting <laughs> it because it feels like, oh my God, are we talking about this too much? Because once you find your people, like once you find your like safe space, like it seems like everyone's just parroting each other. But like recently I had the opportunity to like speak at an education conference and and these teachers were amazing. They were very like innovative, very much supporting of like diversity, but it's a different field, right? It's a different audience altogether. And some of the things that I was saying, which I'm like, oh, are you tired of hearing this? Like I was talking about like mirrors and windows. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, some of the teachers came up to me and were like, please give me like more source material to read and bring back to my school district because that's fascinating. And I was like, oh, so it is worth it still talking about this 
like and being and thinking I'm annoying (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's going to be worth it forever I think that like I you know we all get tired of being like can you be on this diversity panel it's like all right like it's not even a word I like to use but all right like I'll do it because you're having this conversation because you you did find your small group of people but like the world is large and like I remember going to college I went to a very white college (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm from New York City and I went to college base it's still New York State but basically in Canada very far away Uh, okay you can see me on a map that's how white it was up there and that's fine (laughs) I had a, a pretty good time but People come up to me and I was just being myself because I am incapable of being anything else. And they were like, you're my first experience with like a black person and like a black queer person. And like, y'all aren't that scary. And I'm like, we can be, but not really. Like, we're just people. Like, You know, and like growing up, like I was around mostly like black and brown people, you know, Mm -hmm. some white people, but like mostly black and brown people in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh, y'all are, you don't have the, you don't know. (laughs) <laughs> you don't you don't know and I just think about that all the time um I'm off social media for the most part right now but I think about all the people that like come for me and I'm like oh you deeply don't understand like your fear is so loud right now you don't understand that we're just trying to actually connect with you like yeah. I write my stuff for my people that's true but also I do it to connect with people that are different than me I'm just trying to show you <laughs> like yeah you- you're just trying to tell your story in an authentic way. Like I, the thing like, you know, and like, obviously it's all in the news, like the book bans and everything right now. Like and the thing that like frustrates me and I know like most people in our circles know this, but like they're acting like us writing our books is meant to be an attack against them. Like I'm not even thinking about you when I'm writing my book. Like my book is a joyful thing. My book is a positive thing I'm putting in the world. Exactly. Like you're the one who's projecting this negativity onto it. Like, and who doesn't want that cool stuff? Like that's the thing that blows me away um, mm-hmm. is two things. One, this happens at comics all the time and also in traditional publishing, clearly these book bands, but I'm just like, um, no, I, <laughs> having different points of view is interesting yeah doing the same thing over and over again is not interesting now I write primarily like when you would given the choice when I'm writing my own stuff it's mostly black and Puerto Rican characters right um not always but like mostly the main characters especially because there isn't a lot of stuff that I've seen with that in it it exists is out there but like there should be more of it because people that are different than me might find that interesting And the second thing is, like, besides being interesting, like, you're capable of empathy. Don't let people tell you you're not capable of empathy. Mm -hmm. All these people that are arguing, like, mostly white people, right, mostly cis (laughs) white people, (laughs) I'm like, hey, someone told you that you were incapable of empathy and you believed them. You should be mad about that. You should not be mad about my book. You should be mad that someone said that you are not capable of being... To, of connecting with another human being who's different than you. That is messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes me mad. So when I see these people yelling at me, I'm like, baby, who told you that? Who told you that you're not a full person? That's not mm-hmm. fair. That's not fair to you. I'm yeah. going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, okay, so for people who have not picked up um, Reclaim the Stars, which is your most recent publication, um, can you tell us a little bit about your story in that anthology? 
Yeah. Uh, so I wrote a story um, about a mermaid. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it already. I I had two ideas for the story, and uh, and Zoraida was like, "Can you write one that is not a bummer?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Zoraida! Oh God! It's because <laughs> too many of us were story. writing sad stuff. That's why. There was a lot of- you know, when you ask people what to write, like to write from their experience, sometimes it's sad. Uh, and I'm a big sci-fi person, so I was like sad in space. And she was like, hey, you also told me you had like a love story that was like <laughs> fantasy. Do that. Great. <laughs> um, and so it's about um, a young young girl uh, who uh, lives on Vieques. She comes to Vieques from the sea. And uh, she is adopted by one of the uh, sugarcane plantation workers. Um, and she discovers that she was once a mermaid. Um, it's kind of like a silky story, uh, but she can no longer return to the sea because her her magical dress uh, was destroyed. Um, and she is very sad about that. But instead of kind of self-destructing in her sadness, she starts to connect with the sea and sing to the sea and another mermaid comes and i'm not going to spoil the whole thing but it is a love story um it is a story about perseverance um it is also a story about me kind of sneakily going like hey <laughs> they did a lot of stuff to us i'm puerto rican and black they did a lot of stuff to us but we made it they tried to annihilate us but we made it and we found joy we can still do that um it's also a queer story because Given the opportunity, everything I write is queer. <laughs> even even when I'm writing stuff that's not queer, uh, on the face of it, it's queer for sure. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a queer love story um, about these these two creatures of the sea who find each other. Um, it was really important to me to show that even in situations that are very difficult, you can find happiness and joy, and you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve happiness and joy. So that's what it's about love that That's and I so love cool. mermaids and I love the little mermaid on the cover as well I was so happy that like uh <laughs> I was like she's dark <laughs> yeah and I was like Bet, I got you oh <laughs> like, look at her she's got like sparkly like so there's an area in Vieques uh Vieques is one of the islands of Puerto Rico um and uh, there's a bioluminescent bay there. It's gorgeous if you've uh, ever been there. It is truly magical. It's one of the most magical places I've ever seen um, where the water is full of this, like, I don't know if it's algae, I forget, but basically uh, it's bioluminescent uh, and you agitate it with your hands and it glows colors. It's it's wild. You can see it on your hands and it makes you look like a galaxy. And I was like, I want, I want that feeling of when I first touched that beautiful warm water uh, and so I glow at night. I want that to be in my story. And so it's about that bay and the mermaids have like the sparkly stuff in their hair because I pretend to be like really tough and hard, but really I just want soft, happy things. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. It's so sweet. <laughs> too. So yeah, we'll put links. We'll obviously put links to um, Reclaim the Stars uh, so people can buy. Um, I mean, it's hard to know which book everyone should buy 20 prerequisite copies. So <laughs> let's just say, like, uh, if we put a link in the show notes, just buy 20 of that. Yeah. Because um, that's our rule, obviously. Um, well, uh, I know that you have a new comic coming out this year um, in a couple of months. Um, so uh, do you want to tell us about um, what's going on with the new mutants? 
Yeah. Um, so New Mutants is, I'm sure that people have heard of the movie. Uh, I had nothing to do with that. It is a series that has been around for about 40 years, 40 years this September. And I was very lucky uh, to be asked to write the current iteration. Um, and so I've written, my goodness, <laughs> I think it's 13 or 14 issues at this point. The first volume of uh, my run with my collaborator, uh, Rod Rice, is out already. Um, and the second volume should be coming out very soon. Um, so if you like uh, mutants <laughs> with cool but weird and gross powers, uh, if you like... Um, it, you know what? I was a very selfish person and went, I want all of the girls from the original team. I would like that. So if you're looking for a team of the like mostly the original mutants, um, so Danny Moonstar, Rain Sinclair, uh, uh, who else? Magic's on it. Uh, Karma. That, that could be for you. It's fun. Um, I used it as an opportunity to talk about all the stuff that I found interesting about the current era of x-men books there's a line of x-men books you don't have to read them all um just read kind of the stuff you like um but there were a lot of questions that i had and so i was like i'm just gonna put that in the book <laughs> i'm just gonna this is gonna be my thesis statement of like hey this is weird stuff that we should talk about uh in the book um also i think i think my uh creator own comics submerged is back in print i know it was out of print for a little while so if you like spooky stuff and the new york city subway system uh that could be for you as well. It is, uh, the pitch for it is, it is the Orpheus and Eurydice myth set in the New York City subway system because that is actually hell if you've ever been there. And uh, it is a queer brown contemporary retelling of that story. So if you're into that, oh that also exists. Ooh. <laughs> okay, yes, we will definitely link that. So people, I mean, this is going to be an expensive episode, everybody. Oh, no. But... Comics are, are like, they can be cheap. I think Submerge is like fourteen ninety nine. Okay. <laughs> Good. I mean, I, I'm expensive in that, like, 20 copies. <laughs> it's technically a lot, but it's required. So. It's our last season. It's our Everyone, last season. you it's have better. to splurge. Yeah. <laughs> Treat yourself. It's, it's you know, you, you deserve everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vita. Everyone who is on Ride or Die tells us their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You can do either or. You can do both. It's up to you. Oh, man. I thought long and hard about the most embarrassing. Um, and I had a really good one. But as I said uh, earlier, I have ADHD. So my brain, it was gone like leaves in the wind. Um, so the one that I remember uh, is embarrassing. I'm hard to embarrass because I have been ridiculous my whole life. Uh, so I'm like, oh, is that embarrassing? But one time. Oh, God. One time when I was spending a lot of time on Twitter, um, I have a lot of friends in comics, writers and artists and, and colorists and all that stuff. And a good friend of mine, Chris Sabella, who writes incredible comic books, uh, he asked me if he could name a character after me, first name, Vita, in his current book called Crowded. It's awesome. Check it out. Uh, it is about the gig economy in a not so distant future. And it is super queer and super ridiculous. Uh, so one of the main characters' names is Vita, and she is just the biggest badass. I wish I aspire to be that cool. Um, so fast forward to like a year and a half later, uh, I saw one of the artists um, <laughs> uh, tweeting, right? And, and they said, uh, you know, Vita is like the Ron Swanson of lesbians. And I 
quote tweeted it and I was like, this is the best subtweet I've ever gotten in my life. Uh, and God bless them. They were like, oh, I meant the character in the book, but like, you're cool too. And I was oh. like, oh no. <laughs> oh, I, was no. Up, like, a I was like, that is the like online equivalent of like someone waving and you wave back and they're waving to someone behind you. I was like, oh, oh no. I gotta go. Uh, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> remember, uh, that was, that was pretty embarrassing. Um, and as far as things that I wish that I had known, um, so y'all have a lot of really like interesting and intelligent people on here. And I feel like a lot of the things that I wish I had known have been said. Um, but one of the things that uh, if it has not already been said, or rather if it has, I just want to underline is that like, look, uh, writing and creating in general, right, is community work. It's not, it's not just for you. And I don't mean like with the big C, right? Like it's not like this is activism, this is this, this is that. But like, this is something that you do in order to be in community with other people. And that means that you have to be a good member of the community, um, but you also have to like, be as kind and as understanding with the people in your community as you can be. Boundaries are important and, you know, protect yourself and all that stuff. But like, your work is in conversation with everything that has come before and it is going to be in conversation with things that come after you. And you have to keep that in mind. You're not alone. So that's comforting, but also like you are part of this ecosystem. Um, and that means you have a certain responsibility to be as as truthful as you can be, even though it's scary, um, and as kind of open as you can be to other people. And I wish I had known that beforehand because I wrote a lot in isolation for a long time. Um, it took me a really long time to feel comfortable showing my writing to people. Um, I'm not gonna say Danny was like the first, but like that was, you know, that was pretty much like, I was very shy about that because writing is you. You're putting yourself on the page and you're going, here's my heart. Um, but there, there is a reason that you're doing it. And that is the reason to be in community with other people. So keep that in mind. I love that. Yes. Great answer. Very intelligent <laughs> and amazing. And you're one of our smart and amazing guests. Okay. Yes, you are one of the very smart guests who gives good advice. It's, it's canon now. It is. Y'all are the best. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love this show so much and I understand why y'all are, you know, moving on. But I just wanted to tell y'all that this show really, I recommend it so often. It changed my life. So thank you. Oh, gosh. It's so, so I, we didn't do this on purpose, but. I feel like almost every single guest we've had this season has been a huge fan of the show and has had some sort of like very sweet message for us. And like, I get so emotional about it because it's like, we don't, we're just like going about our like weeks and like recording and like posting and like doing what we do. It's rare that we like hear from listeners in this in the way that we're listening we're hearing from like other writers like telling us like this really helped me not be lonely it got me through sub it got me through querying it's just really nice and thank you for listening and for letting us know that it helped you because that was the whole point of writer die right <laughs> um and yeah. hopefully it still continues to help people because it will be up you know um for as long as it can be and we hope it mm -hmm. will help generations of writers to come <laughs> you're doing that community work it's important right and you challenge people too that was the thing that i you know i started listening to it uh 
because I recognized a bunch of the names and I was like, I want to hear like, you know, y'all are great speakers and great interviewers. I'm going to hear conversation. And there's a lot of stuff that you started doing in the before interview section that I was like, now, hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd listen through and I'd go, wow, you know, I hadn't, you know, I don't agree with that. And then I think about it and be like, wait a second, I do agree with that. I just didn't understand, you know, that conversation. You, you have changed the way that people think about things in a very like organic way. But I think that like, that's real community work in that like, I've taken things that I've really chewed on that y'all have talked about and I've taken it out into the world and been like, now let's talk about this. Hold on. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to be responsible. (laughs) I think, I think that's the cool part of it too, right? Like it's hard to have conversations about anything without it devolving into like attacks and like, and like nastiness on like Twitter. Right. Um, We really loved being able to talk about publishing stuff on the podcast um, and he, and like start conversations and like really dig deep into things. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, we were talking about this in the um, pre-chat before this as well, that a lot of times like things seem a certain way on the surface and it's not until you dig a little deeper and you realize like, hold on, you didn't consider like this aspect of it. And it's because publishing is so layered and, everybody's experience is different and not until you kind of like see those different sides of things can you really make decisions or like informed opinions on stuff because there's always like an angle you're not considering (laughs) um and that can get really complicated you know but Mm -hmm. we're really glad that we were able to like offer like a little bit of nuance (laughs) just a crumb it was needed it was needed complicated yeah kind of, kind of a feel but um Vita can you before we let you go can you let our listeners know where they can find you on the internet yes um so I do have a website I have to update it but most of the stuff is there it is definitely um that is also my handle on social media on twitter at definitely Vita I don't spend a lot of time there right now there's a as we've said can be a lot on social media Um, and when you're on deadline as I am deeply in deadline (laughs) uh, you don't need all that noise but I do occasionally (laughs) pop up there and post I try to repost other people's stuff more than I post my own stuff just because again like this is an ecosystem this is a community so (laughs) look at all this cool stuff that other people are doing (laughs) absolutely everybody go follow Vita buy 20 prerequisite copies of all their books um <laughs> and yeah thank you so much for being on ride or die and for being one of our wordies we love you so much yeah y'all are the best <laughs> yay thanks for listening to ride or die be sure to check out wicked fox by cat cho and ghost squad by Clarabel a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review see you next time wordies and don't forget to spread the word